folks welcome back for another episode of triple g ginger's gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephen kerr aka the ginger and we are back for another busy jam-packed week and with a busy time in nfl football as we approach week five starting here thursday night and uh as they wind down and wind up in the world of golf winding down on the LPGA and Champions Tour and European Tour, winding up on the PGA Tour here for a couple more weeks um, before we get into the, what we call the silly season and then uh, starting back up in the new year. So um, we will go through all of that. But we prom- when we promise, we deliver here on Triple G. We've got another busy week ahead of us here with two amazing guests. We are joined by national NFL reporter on Fansided, host of Stacking the Box podcast, Matt Vertoram, and talking uh, week one through weeks one through four in the NFL, and some Chiefs and Bills talk, and joined on the Buffalo side of things from host of the Shout podcast and Bills Beat reporter for Syracuse.com, Matt Perino. Both of these guys have been with us here before on Triple G, um, talking a little NFL football, so great to have them back, and we will get into that another week where you will not have to hear too much of my voice, and uh, I will sit back and refer to those two guys in terms of um, some of the chats that we're going to get into. But let's talk about what we learned here uh, in the NFL in Week 4. And what I learned was the cream, like my friend, the macho man, Randy Savage, God rest his soul, once said, the cream will rise to the top. And that's what we are seeing, folks, here in the uh, in the NFL. And that is the fact that, listen, what we all thought from a from a national level and all the prognostications and and you know all the previews and and all the preview shows here on Triple G and and everything is is the teams that we believed were going to be there in the end are now starting to come through and it's it's what we've been talking about here on this podcast for for 3 4 weeks now don't fall into the trap don't let week 1 and week 2 and week 3 change your opinion on teams and and what you believe is going to happen because there's going to be teams that start quick and fall back. I think uh teams like Vegas and I'm I'm still holding hope out for a team like Denver that hopefully can push through for for a loyal listener of the show here Chester Morin. Um thanks Chester for all the for the listens that um you know that they can hopefully push through but you you got to think that they may fall back a little bit especially in a tough AFC West division. Um, same with Vegas. I think the top two teams in that division, KC and the Chargers. Um, surprised by a team like Indy, ravaged by injuries and maybe a little bit of a slower start and trying to find you know, the, the right game plans and, and philosophies with, with Carson Wentz at the helm between him and Frank Wright. And, and the defense maybe wasn't as strong as they thought it would be out of the gate. 
uh, teams like Cincy. So there are a couple surprise teams in the the AFC, and and same goes for um, goes for the NFC. You know, uh, we knew there where we thought there would be improvement from Carolina, but are they a team that might fall back and and end up around that 500 mark like we thought, or will they be able to push through? Um, the Dallas and the Washingtons, we knew they would be battling it out. So what we thought was going to happen is now really truly starting to play out when you start to break it down from, from Buffalo and Baltimore and Cleveland, Tennessee, Chiefs and Chargers like we talked about. Those teams are starting to rise, and, and that's who, to me, is going to be left, those six or seven teams, when when this 18-week schedule completes itself here. Um, those are the teams that I thought at the start of the year would be there, and I think they're going to be there in the end. And the NFC is no different, right? The Green Bays, the Tampa Bays, the Rams, like we said, Dallas, Washington is going to battle it out. Um, we knew the AFC West would be a, a would be a crapshoot, and two or three of those teams um, would be able to to be able to get into those playoffs. So, really, when you start to break it down, it, there's really only you know two three teams that are truly surprising you, the likes of a, a Denver out to a hot start, which we knew that their schedule would be tough. So we knew that they have a gauntlet coming up. But Cincinnati, Carolina are the two teams uh, in my mind that that really kind of surprised me. Didn't really see them coming out of the gate this hot. I hope they can continue to push it uh, push it through. But uh, what we learned was the cream rises to the top in the NFL. On to number two, and that is Ginger's Garbage here. And I've got a hot one on my hands tonight that I want to unload and unleash on this guy because I've had just about enough of his shit. So let's get into our Ginger's Garbage. Folks, this week's Ginger's Garbage, and I'm going to be short and sweet on it because this is this our two guests tonight deserve deserve the show here tonight. But and and this this podcast isn't about a personal attack on anybody and you, and all of our listeners who've who've listened to me and and this segment for for uh, a while now here know that I don't I don't want to rip on on too many people personally, but there's there's one individual in the NFL that's that's really grinding my gears right now. And really, really is pissing me off, and it's about time that he, we we shun him out of the game because his track record record speaks for itself. And let's just talk about this: 2011 hires a known domestic abuse abuser out from Ohio State by the name of Zach Smith. 2010 in Florida has 30 players arrested. 2021 hires Chris Doyle, who was recently let go from Iowa University for racist, proven racist behavior from the University of Iowa. Now, and we all know who I'm talking about, and that is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's somehow like a cat found himself with nine lives, and he's found him another one, Shaq Khan, giving him another chance here, probably because he doesn't want to look so foolish after this hire of Urban Meyer, but it's going to prove itself out. This guy, enough's enough already. We're four weeks into this thing. It's an absolute shit show down there in Jacksonville. I'm not surprised. You know, we we went through it. We went through his record in in college. We've seen it in Florida. We've seen it at at, uh, Ohio State. The the on-field record speaks for itself. One of the the greatest college football coaches of all time in terms of wins and losses. We we know that, and that's not what I'm getting into. 
But this is about personal record and having integrity. And and th- it's just not there, folks. The list goes on and on. And I could continue to 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 go in, and I'm sure there's more and more. And I, and I get it in college. There's there's a lot of things that happen there, but and they're idolized on these campuses and and they can rule the roost and walk around and do whatever they want and and they get greased here and greased there and and you don't think hey Rick Patino and and all these there's tons of we that that list can go on and on of of college coaches who who've done some shady shit over the years but you're in the big boy league now Urban Meyer and you fly up there into Cincinnati last Thursday night you absolutely shit the bed in the second half with total lack of second half adjustments your defense falls apart i was on board with you when you went for it uh 14 nothing fourth uh, fourth and goal from the one totally the right decision there but to not fly home with your team you stay up there in columbus and that's what comes out of the weekend after you don't fly home from your team if you're a player in the nfl this is absolutely unheard of absolutely unheard of you fly back, you handle your business, you're in into the facility on Friday, you got the weekend off. You make millions of dollars. You can fly back to Columbus like that in a heartbeat. But handle your business. And and so that's that's your lead. He's lost all credibility from a from a known source that's coming out today, uh, and Mike Silver, that he's lost all credibility in that locker room pulling stunts like that. Then that video comes out. Um, whether it was set up or not set up, and I, there's there's all types of situations there, so we don't need to dive too much in the video. But for me, this week's Ginger's garbage and his track record is spoken now over the last decade and a half is Urban Meyer as Ginger's garbage, and we're throwing out the trash. It's time to get rid of Urban Meyer in coaching period and in the NFL time to fire his ass urban meyer you're the this week's ginger's garbage let's get over to the game lines and a little bit of preview um, as we know all of our picks come out uh, on friday or saturday depending on the injury reports and how fast we can get into them uh, this week we're going to try to get back to dutch on some of these nfl picks he's hot in the couple of the pools that uh, that we're in together so we're going to throw a couple of his picks in there as well I continue to just ride the 500 line. Um, another tough week on the picks, I believe, uh, our Saturday pick six, as we call it, that we'll have out there um, was uh, was three and three. Last week we threw up a couple extra picks there, was, uh, was three and five. So overall in the pools, I believe I'm sitting at 33, 34, and one or somewhere in around just below that uh that 500 mark, about 47, 48% for the season. So need a couple good weeks here for uh, for me and our listeners, of course, so we can make a few shekels, but a few games that are circled on uh, on this week's schedule here as it's the last week before we start to hit, uh, hit some of these big uh, bye weeks where uh, we hit four, five, six teams uh, off on a bye coming up here. So that's uh, the last full slate of scheduled games. I believe there, at most there might be two teams on a bye, but I don't believe so. I think we're on a full slate this week. We got our first game in London, 9.30. Don't forget it, listeners. Um, not the best game on the board, Jets and Falcons, but hey, you got to love these days. Football starting at 9.30 a.m., running all the way through until midnight. 
hey, how could you not love that? Absolutely perfect. And before we even get to Sunday, the big slate kicks off with a huge eight or NFC West um, big matchup. Rams at the Seahawks. Rams favored on the road at, by two and a half. And um, 54 and a half is the total, the game total on that line. So um, pretty high total game total there. Um, check out Donnie right side, see more on the team totals as well to see uh, what he have might what he have might have there. So interesting to see, but uh, surprise Rams favorite on the road two and a half there. I thought that would be a pick 'em. By the time it hits, it might just be. So keep an eye on that spread as we move forward. Sunday one o'clock, big game. Not a huge sexy matchup, but a big game. We talked about two of these teams. Um, earlier in our, our cream rises to the top and what we learned and that's Washington and the Saints. To me, we knew the Saints were going to take a little bit of a, a setback. They've just lost too many pieces. We've talked about the cap jail over all of our preview shows on this podcast and it two and two, probably exactly where we thought they would be probably where they're going to be kind of all season is hovering around or a little bit above or below 500 as we go through. But this is a big one conference matchup playing the Washington football team. Um, they come off of a, a scare against Atlanta, pull a win out there. Saints favored again on the road. Uh, 44.5 is the total, so a huge matchup there. Can the Saints rise to the occasion? Can this Washington defense finally show up and come back? Flipping back to that uh, Seahawks Rams, same thing there with the Rams. That defense has got to start to show up soon here. So, a couple big name defenses that have kind of been sleeping through the first few weeks here. Can they start to show up and, and uh, lead their team? Washington at home, Rams on the road to a, to a victory. A, another next Sunday 1 o'clock matchup that you know you wouldn't have circled at the start of the year, week 5, and you're, you're flipping through that schedule. You wouldn't have circled on your, on your calendar uh, way back in uh, April and May when that schedule comes out. But you look at it now, and it's two 3-1 football teams in Cincinnati. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on the road, favored by three. 50.5 is the game total. Another big matchup. It's um, out of conference matchup here, so not too much on the line conference wise, but this is a big one. Two, three, and two, three, and one teams. Always fun. And you guys, all of the listeners know I like new matchups. I like new teams on primetime. I like new matchups on primetime. You know, the days of the, uh, the Cowboys and the 49ers, I grew up with that. I watched it for years. I've seen that game. You know, Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Eagles. Like Dutch and I talk about it all the time. Get me some new, fresh blood and sign me up. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Let's get it going. Let's start airing it out. We saw what happened when uh, Zach Taylor went to the spread offense in the second half of that game against Jacksonville. Joe Burrow really showed his uh, his talent. I think you're going to see a little bit more of that moving forward. Um, I think that that they're best going to where Zach Taylor was with the Rams and Sean McVay, and that's out of the eleven personnel. You know, get the tight, get one, give me one tight end to you know have that five man offensive line, one tight end, and and block it up, and uh, give me Joe Mixon. You can run out of that formation. Mixon can come out of the backfield, and. Um, I think you you've got some weapons there, and it's a tough matchup for any defense against uh, those those three wide receivers, no doubt. Another big AFC matchup, 
this week, 405 start, the Browns at SoFi Stadium against the Los Angeles Chargers coming off a big Monday night victory against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. This is a big matchup here. And this could be, you know, this is the type of matchup here in week five that could could adjust seating. You're looking at two teams that, you know, Baltimore takes that AFC North and Kansas City, you know, jettisons ahead here and kickstarts their season with a win on Sunday night against Buffalo. Knock, knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, both of these teams are expected now to make the playoffs here. Baker Mayfield had a tough week, led the led the uh, the NFL in off-target passes, um, totally missing some wide-open receivers when you start to look at uh, even the highlights show that, let alone looking at the game film. So uh, Chargers with a bit of a slap in the face here, only favored by a point and a half. I think that's an open uh, spread that's uh, a little low to start. I think you're going to see early money on the Chargers, especially coming off of that uh, that big Monday night win. And pretty much a not a dominant win, but pretty close to dominant win over the Raiders. Uh, they you know they made it close and had their opportunities. And Car missed rugs late on a on a wide open bomb that that could have changed things a little bit there. But uh, I think that'll start to rise to two and a half and and probably come back down to where it's at now. But I think this is probably where the spread ends up. But I think you might see some early money on on the Chargers. So keep an eye on it. If it gets too high, the Browns might be the option there. If it gets to three or four points, that's pretty good value for uh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns going into SoFi Stadium, which we know is not the toughest place to go to with the Chargers right now as they really try to find their way in terms of fan base and and um, what's happening there at SoFi, Sta- SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Inglewood, always up to no good. Another big NFC West matchup. And when is this? It's going to happen all year, folks. The NFC West matchup is going to be back and forth. We're going to be talking about it a lot because all four of these teams are going to be in contention for playoff race all season long. Uh, San Francisco 49ers. Sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo's got an opportunity to maybe play. We may see Trey Lance if that's not the case. But the Cardinals open up at home at 5.5 point favorites. 50 is the game total to me. That's another team total um, option to look at there. Uh, this could be a 30-20 type of team total. So if you get the Cardinals at 30, you may be looking at a, um, a good value to go under there on the on the Cardinals on the team total. So that's an option as well early on. But a huge matchup there and a big game for, for San Fran. They've got to find a way to, to get a signature win, and this would be it on the road against... The Cardinals, they've got some tough games coming up ahead here, so they've got to start to kickstart it and uh, really make a push to give themselves a little bit of wiggle room here. Can't afford to fall behind and go, you know, two and four in that division and really put yourself in a tough spot. And what else is left than an AFC championship return match? Sunday night football. Waiting all day for Sunday night, 8-20 start in Arrowhead Stadium, Kansas City, Missouri. The Chiefs open up at 2.5 point favorites. That's an interesting one, 56.5. So uh, they're thinking it's going to be a shootout at the OK Corral with uh, Josh Allen and these Buffalo Bills coming into town. But we're not going to dive too much into it. Let's get 
talking with some of our guests tonight. Let's flip over now and we'll welcome to the show our guests. All right, listeners, let's give a warm welcome to national NFL reporter at Fansided, host of Stacking the Box podcast. He's back again. We had him on uh, before the draft. And we got him back now for a big Sunday night matchup preview. And that's Matt Verderan. Matt, are you on the line with us? I am. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on again. Uh, how's uh, how's life treating you? Everything's, uh, everything's been good? You've been enjoying the first few weeks of NFL football here? Beautiful, beautiful. Busy, but uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, that's what I'd like to hear. Matt, uh, what have you learned? What have you learned through the first four weeks of, uh, of football here? I, you know, every season brings us something new and something different. Um, what have you had your eye on or what kind of caught your eye in the first four weeks here? I just think we're in for a year of extreme parity. There's not any team through four weeks. And I know the Cardinals are undefeated, the only undefeated team, but there's nobody who I look at and say that team is a runaway favorite. You know, every once in a while, I'll get a year where you just watch a team and go, okay, that, that team is going to be a bear for anybody else to beat. I don't know that the team's there. I mean, you know, going into the year, a lot of people, including myself, and I, I never picked a, a repeat Super Bowl, but I, I did this year with Kansas City and Tampa. And by the way, if I had to pick one right now, that's who I would stay with. But, um, you know, Tampa's been bad in the past defense. It's been awful. Uh, yeah. Kansas City, they, they've been bad defensively in every way you could possibly be. I mean, they, they can't do anything. Um, but offensively, they're so great that – you say, well, my God, if they get 10% better on defense, they'll never get any play. But there's a lot of teams. I mean, you throw Buffalo in that mix, Cleveland, Baltimore. You want to throw the Chargers in there? Okay. Uh, the Cardinals, the Rams, the, 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 the Packers, the Bucks, the Cowboys. I mean, there's just there's a lot of teams. So my, my big takeaway right now to four weeks is I don't think there is a big takeaway. You, you have a lot of really good, solid teams. Every one of them has flaws. Who comes through the year healthiest and who kind of mitigates those flaws and accentuates their strengths as the year, as the year goes on? Yeah. And, and you think, uh, is there anybody in terms of, of coaching possibly that that has a, has an edge? Is it, you know, the Chiefs and an Andy Reid? Like, would you would you be willing to trust a team like the the Chargers with a, with a Brandon Staley that's never led the ship, if you will, in terms of being a head coach, um, you know, through a, through a playoff run? Um, I, I feel like I would trust a, an Andy Reid, a Sean McDermott, or somebody like that who's who's gone ahead and, and led that charge, even a Matt LaFleur who's, who's been to that NFC Championship game in Green Bay. So um, to me, I think coaching may be an option there that could push one of those teams over the top as well. Yeah, no, a, a fun point. And look, I always look at the coach and the quarterback first and foremost. Whenever I'm analyzing okay, who do I think is going to win this game? If it's close in terms of talent level, who, who's got the advantage at those two spots? Because whoever that is has a distinct advantage. In today's NFL, you can be the Chiefs defensively, but if you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, like, you're, you're going to beat a lot of teams. You just are. I mean, that, that wasn't the case when I was a kid in the 90s. If, if, you couldn't, if you couldn't stop the run in the 90s, if you couldn't play defense, you just weren't going to win. Go look at Dan Marino's career. Um, that's no longer true now, but I do think some of these teams have experience, and with that comes an advantage. Kansas City and Tampa and Green Bay, these teams have been there and done it. They've been there a million times. They know how to win in these games. They know how to win as the year goes on, and they also know not to panic. You know, if, if a team has a two-game losing streak, if things aren't going well, you know, to stick with their example, Tampa Bay last year was 7-5, and five, 
and yeah. nobody was picking them to win a Super Bowl. And they were the five seed, and they, they won. They won it all. The year before that, the Chiefs, you know, everybody thinks of Kansas City and just thinks it's juggernaut. They were six and four through 10 games. They did not look particularly great. They got hot and they got healthy and they, they didn't lose another game. They, they won nine straight and won it all. So I think right now you just want to be healthy. You want to be jockeying for position. You don't want to get buried at one and three or, of course, 0 oh and four. Right now, I think if you're healthy and you're two and two or better, you're fine. You're yeah. fine. You're right where you need to be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You mentioned the quarterbacks there. Um, wanted to ask you about the rookie quarterbacks. We've covered a lot here on, on our podcast and wanted to get your your thoughts on it. Are you surprised with all of the rookie quarterbacks kind of struggling? I know we saw some glimpses a little bit more this week, but um, I know you did a lot of draft work on all these guys and we're, we're very well prepared. So that's why I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, were you surprised with, with how they came out the first four weeks or was it to be expected and it's just life in the NFL as a rookie quarterback? Well, it depends on, on the situation. So, look, it's always going to be difficult. There are the rare guys who come in and they're just great right away. Herbert last year was one of those examples. Um, but Herbert stepped into a team that had a lot of talent. Like, I know they were sixth overall that year picking in the draft because they couldn't figure out a late-game situation. But they they, they had talent. I mean, that team had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and, and so on and so forth. The Jaguars and the Jets are just terrible. Like, I don't care who the quarterback is. They're not going to be good. Now, Jacksonville, and we've kind of seen this whole thing with Urban Meyer, that team is a wreck, an absolute wreck. Um, The Jets hired Robert Sala, who I like. I think will be a good coach in time, but he is the first-time head coach at any level, and he's defensive-minded. Yep. They hired Mike LaFleur, who is a first-time offensive coordinator, but he's 34 years old. They do not have a backup quarterback who's ever thrown an NFL pass. And they dropped Zach Wilson into this and just said, all right, Zach, good luck. I mean, <laughs> I wrote about it for the season. That was always going to be a disaster. Like that, You don't have a guy – like when he's throwing four picks against Belichick, there's no there's no quarterback on the bench who's going, all right, look, man, I saw this coverage five years ago. Here's what he's trying to do. Here's what they're trying to get you to throw the ball. He doesn't have that. Yeah. So these rookie quarterbacks have struggled. Obviously, Trey Lance, we haven't seen a lot of, so him kind of aside. Mac Jones has been fine. He's a game manager. He throws the ball five yards of play, and, and so so be it. I do not think that Lawrence is going to be bad. I know he struggled. I think he's going to be very good in Jacksonville. I just think he needs a real coach. Uh, Wilson has talent. I worry that, like with every other quarterback in the history of the franchise outside of Joe Namath, that they will just break him. But if they don't break him, I think there's talent. Fields, I like a lot. Again, needs a new coach. But I think some of these guys will come around. Are any of them generational? Lawrence might be. Lawrence has just an insane amount of arm talent. The rest of these guys, I think the ceiling is that they're good. But I I don't think that they are going to be Mahomes or Rodgers or Wilson or something like that. Yeah, and and on your Lawrence point, too, even that Cincinnati game, watching that and you just see you, there's those six to eight throws that just make you make you go wow right and it makes you just go okay there's there's definitely something there to work with and and if you can just find the right situation like you said it, it could just work out just fine for him so Matt's um flipping over to your chiefs now and and we'll start to hone in on this this Sunday night matchup but one to get get your thoughts on the AFC West is that is that the new the best division in football is it taken over for its counterpart in the NFC West? as the best division in football right now? I think the NFC West is still the best division. Um, I think you might get all four teams in the NFC West in the playoffs. That division is just nuts. Now, the Niners, 
They got some injuries. I don't know about the quarterback play. Um, but that division to me is still the best. I, they'll load it. And the AFC West, I know right now, ironically, the Chiefs are in last by themselves at two and two. Everybody else is three and one. I still I, I caution people not to overreact about anything for four weeks. I still think at the end of this thing, Kansas City's winning like 13 games, and they're going to be the winners of that division. Um, I don't buy Denver. They've beaten three horrid teams, and they got boat raced by Baltimore at home. Like, I think Denver's going to end up winning about eight games. The Raiders, they're going to end up winning about eight or nine games. I know they got off to a good start. Two of those games were wins at home in overtime. Like, I don't know what to make of that. I I think the Raiders are burned. I thought. I picked them to win like six games at the beginning of the year. I think they'll win more than that, but I think the Chiefs and the Chargers are both very good. I think the Chiefs are better. I know they lost at home to the Chargers in week three. The Chiefs also were minus four in the turnover ratio in that game. And on three of those, we're going right down the field. And we're in scoring two in the red zone, one right outside of it. And they turn the ball over and they lost by seven with a minus four turnover differential. So I think the Chiefs are going to win the division. I think the Chargers will be a very potent, scary wildcard team. And then I think the Raiders and the Broncos, look, you know what? They're going to be fringe playoff teams, you know, eight wins, nine wins. Uh, but I, I think it's the second best division for the NFC West. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. It's, it's, it's hard. Uh, not everybody has your expertise and your knowledge to be able to, you know, filter through the weeds, if you will, and, and really, you know, narrow in and, and break down what's actually happening. A lot of us regulars kind of overreact and, and over pursue uh, through the, the four weeks. On to, on to the Chiefs now. What's and starting out, and you mentioned the defense early on. What's been the major issue on that defensive side of the ball? Is it is it just uh, you know lack of pass rush? Is it secondary blowing assignments? Is it the linebacking core? Can you pinpoint one thing, or is it a, a little bit of everything? Uh, <laughs> how much time do you have? They, <laughs> they are they are god awful, god awful defensively. I, I can't express to someone who hasn't watched a lot of the Chiefs yet. They they literally didn't force a punt against Philadelphia. Like it's it's incredible how bad they are. Um and they shouldn't be as bad as they are. Like they have real talent on that defense. And I'm not making them out to be the 75 Steelers or anything, but they have Chris Jones, they have Tyron Matthew, they have Lajarius Sneed, Anthony Hitchens, John Reed, Frank Clark. That's that's half your defense. That should be a pretty good defense. Can't do anything. Can't get a pass rush. But a lot of it, which has been stunning, because they've had a lot of these guys in the same places now for a long time, including the defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, Mm -hmm. their miscommunication has been brutal. Like, if you watch the Chiefs, every game there's been a half dozen plays where they have no idea what they're doing. None. They blow coverages. they, they They have the wrong amount of guys in the field. They, you know, they, they think they're in zone half the time. They're in man or vice versa. I mean, it is, it is appalling how bad they are pre-snap. There was a play against the Chargers where the Chargers were running out a two-point conversion and nobody guarded Mike Williams. Like, literally nobody lined up with Mike Williams. He was just standing there completely by himself. And the Chiefs just let him walk, like, just a pitch and catch right into the end zone. There's nobody within 15 yards of him. On a two-point conversion, how the hell do you not see a guy who's six foot five? But you know, it's just—it's been that kind of start for them. But if you're a Chiefs fan, look, the good news is they don't have to even be good; they just have to not be historically bad. If they're just 
23rd in the league, they'll probably win the Super Bowl because they're so dominant on offense. But right now, they're they're two and two, despite the fact that their offense is putting up just ungodly numbers. And and what's the what's the temperature like in Kansas City right now? As as you know, uh, a pretty good offense in Buffalo comes into town, um, a defense that's beat up on some some weaker teams, and and we'll have Matt Perino on from uh, from the Buffalo side of things a little bit later on in the show here to to break down their side. But um, you know, a fairly good defense. Uh, some would say top five, top ten coming into town to try to stop this high-powered Chiefs offense. What's the feeling like uh, in town in Kansas City, and how do you see this matchup playing out here on Sunday night? I think among Chiefs fans, the thought is really, look, this might not be the worst thing in the world. Like, they need to focus. They need to get the details. And playing the Bills on Sunday Night Football ought to do it. Like, that game ought to get them focused. Now, I I don't always believe in that stuff. Like, you got to, you know, you got to focus for every game in the NFL. I, I get that some games are maybe more locked in than others, and this game should bring that. But um, I think that the idea is there's not a reason to panic because this team was almost as bad defensively in the Super Bowl season for the first 10 weeks. Not quite this bad, but bad. And the second half of this, well, the last six games plus the plus, they were dominant. So I think there's a little bit of, hey, look, this team will figure it out. They're too well coached. They're too talented. They'll just, they'll get it going. And the offense is is so dominant that it will carry them while they're figuring it out. That being said, uh, how do I see the game going? Like, I I got to be honest. Normally, I have a feel real strongly with Kansas City one way or the other. This game, I don't know. I, I could see this thing going a million ways. I could see Buffalo scoring 45 points. I can see it being a game where it's an absolute all-time shootout and it's just who's got the ball last or who makes a, a, a big play to, to win it. But if I had to get pinned down on it, I, I got to be honest, I come down on the side of I, I just – the Chiefs under Andy Reid with this team, with Mahomes, they just come up big in these spots. They just do. Like they have a long history in, the, in prime time, in their building. They just – they win – and I, I have a feeling we're going to be sitting here on Monday morning going, how the hell did the Chiefs hold them to 20 points? Or so it's just going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Some head, scat, head scratcher question. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. it's just when everybody and their mother starts going the other direction on a really good team. And I, you know, we saw this for two decades up in New England, where, you know, New England was notorious, if you look back and think about it, for getting off to slow starts a lot of years, you know, two and two, mm-hmm. just like Kansas City. And they'd play a game against like Cincinnati or the Chargers or something. And they'd come into Foxborough and everybody'd be like, you know, this might be it. You know, this might be the year where this is Andy Dalton. This is Phillip Rivers. This is Ben Roth. And then, and then you turn the game on and New England would win by 20. And you're like, yeah, right. But they're still New England. And I have a feeling that this is going to kind of be that game. And I, and I don't think it, by any means, is is a knock on the Bills. I think the Bills could very well win the Super Bowl this year. This is a rough spot if you're Buffalo. You almost would rather catch the Chiefs playing when they're like, everything's perfect and everybody's patting them on the back. They're going to hear all week how terrible they are. And I don't know that you really want that going into Sunday Night Football at Arrowhead. So I will take the Chiefs, but anything is possible in this game. Yeah, you're right. And you know what, but we uh... – my my worry being a Bills fan, as you know, is is uh, Buffalo's a little bit banged up on defense, and especially at some some key spots. You know, Jordan Poyer with a with an sure. ankle injury, Matt Milano um, at that second level linebacker spot there. 
um, those are key matchups against, uh, you know, uh, an important number 87 that uh, seems to catch a lot of balls over the middle of the football field, especially on Buffalo, like he did in that AFC championship game, racking up 13 for 118 and a, and a touchdown, I believe in that, in that game. So um, it'll be a tough spot. Do you have a, do you have an X factor um, for the Chiefs? Somebody, you know, like a luxurious need or, or um, somebody that's going to come up big for them uh, in terms of uh, maybe switching that tide that you mentioned about? I mean, I'll give you two because I think one has to be said. The, the one that's right off the top is Josh Gordon. He's probably going to play in the game. He's gonna, looks like he is going to play in the game. Like that, that's going to be very interesting because they obviously have never had him in the offense before. He comes in. They have not been shy about the fact that he's going to he's going to play like a real role for this team. This is not going to be like we're going to bring him in and have like 10 snaps a game. He's going to I think pretty much start opposite of Tyreek Hill. Now, is, is that right away? I don't know, but that's the plan. If he can stay on the field, that is a very interesting development for an offense that already is never punting. I I, I have to look this up, and I don't want to be wrong in your pot. I think, I think through four games, they've punted four times. Wow. Wow. I, they just don't turn. They don't. The only time they don't score is when they turn the ball over. That's it. That's if they don't turn the ball over, they just go down the field every time and score. And it's usually seven. It's not three. Yeah. So, you know, he adds a dimension where if he's really good, I don't know what you do against them. Uh, you play zone and you just pray that they bog down inside the twenty. I, I mean, I don't know what else you do because last year the plan was, hey, look, you let them move the ball, but they can't run the ball inside. They've rebuilt this offensive line. It's one of the best lines in the league. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal offensive line now, which I didn't think would come together this quickly, but it has. I mean, they took Fletcher Cox and John, John Hargrave and basically drove him to the 10th row of the, the end zone on Sunday. They just killed him. Um, but my big X factor in the game, I think, got to be Frank Clark. He's missed the last, he's missed two of the, last, the first three games of the year with hamstring injuries, one on each hamstring. He practiced all week last week. He did not play. I think he will play this week unless there's a setback. He's the kind of guy that he could do nothing in the game. He could also have three sacks. And so he could swing the game really one way or the other. Look, this game's a huge game. I think if the Bills win this game, they're going to be the number one seed in the AFC if they're healthy because they'll be two up on the Chiefs with a breaker. I don't think Kansas City will catch them. And the Bills' division is a joke. They're going to win that division. If Kansas City wins this game, all of a sudden now you're even. The Chiefs have the breaker. And Kansas City's played their hardest game so far. They'll, they'll have gotten their hardest part of the schedule out of the way. Cleveland, Baltimore, the Chargers, and the Bills in the first five weeks. And they got a lot of teams down the stretch they should pummel. I think there's a very good chance this ends up being the AFC Championship game again. And I think whoever wins this game is a really, really good shot of hosting it. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. You're right. Like you said, the Bills division being just so so pitiful and, and a real cupcake schedule even outside of that division. So um i i couldn't agree more matt matt yeah. uh, we we appreciate your time um we're gonna let you go before you go let us know where we can find you i'm always trying to listen to your stack in the box pod podcast and um all the the work you do so let us know where our listeners can find you uh sure absolutely so first of all yes yeah, stack in the box podcast uh if you're a chiefs fan i'll sing to the podcast also do the arrowhead attic podcast ran the site for years and now uh i don't run the site anymore matt connor does he does a great job i do our pod um, and then on Twitter at Matt Verderam, where I spend way too much time. So if you want to chat it up, I am always on Twitter. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Enjoy the game uh, on Sunday night. We'll catch up uh, later in the season and 
maybe uh, before next year's draft, and we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. All right, sounds good. Anytime. Absolutely amazing talking with Matt. Um, candid, honest, and really gives it to us straight. Not only about the Chiefs, but everything that's happened in the NFL. Um, and just knows so much and has so much experience and, and really does his homework. So uh, trust and value his opinion, his thoughts on what's happening, not only in the first four weeks of the NFL, but uh, what could happen here on this big Sunday night matchup. And let's continue on talking about it because uh, there's no point in hearing me blab on and talk about my beloved Buffalo Bills and, and what could happen here because I could see this game going any which way, kind of like Matt, I'm not really sure and haven't really settled down on on a game script or what I think could happen here because um, I find a lot of times with these big matchups, they, they don't always go the way we think, as, as, as our listeners know, so it'll be interesting to see. But uh, let's flip over to our second guest. Always enjoy talking with Matt. Let's see if we can get him on the line here. Into it. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome to Bill's Beat Reporter at Syracuse.com and host of one of my personal favorite podcasts, near and dear to my heart. That's the Shout Podcast and the host of that, Matt Perino. Matt, are you with us on the line? I am. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's great to have you. We talked uh, the week of the Indianapolis playoff game uh, a while back. You joined us, so it's uh, it's great to have you back on. Thanks for having me. Big week. Lots to talk yeah. about. It is. It is indeed. Matt, uh, before we, we dive into that Chiefs matchup, I want to ask you uh, just a, a personal question in terms of, of your work life and how it's changed. The last time we talked, uh, you were still doing all of the reporting and, and all your work pretty much via Zoom with, with all the media relations with the team and uh, with Coach McDermott and all the players. I believe now you guys are allowed to be back down at that stadium. Um, how's that changed? Are you liking it more? Um, is it more personal? Just give us kind of a little bit of information on it. Yeah. I mean, it's much better now. Uh, it's still not back to where we were, you know, before the pandemic. I mean, we're not allowed in the locker room, which, you know, for my job, I mean, building those relationships with the players to be able to kind of tell those, their stories. And, uh, that from that perspective, it's been a little bit challenging even still, but it's much better than just doing all zoom. I mean, we get in-person interviews. We do get some one-on-ones. The bills PR staff has done a really good job of trying to bridge the gap uh, with, you know, all of us trying to cover this team. So um, no, it's, it's, it's been good. I mean, considering where it was last year to what, what we, what we're dealing with now, it's, it's been great. Uh, that's good to hear. Glad to, uh, glad to see and hear that you guys are, are getting back to uh, almost normal down there, which is great. Matt, what's been the biggest surprise for you through the first four weeks of, of this season? You know, we, we lined up at three and one here as we approach week five. And, you know, the Pittsburgh game kind of stings a little bit, knowing, you know, where they are now at, at one and three. But, you know, was it the slow start by Josh Allen? Was it is it the efficiency of the running game or is it just the defense being, you know, what we think this dominant? What's what was kind of the biggest surprise for you through four weeks here? You know, I, I, I thought they'd come out a little bit better. I, I attribute what happened in week one to a really good defensive game plan from uh, Pittsburgh and execution. I mean, when, if you're able to get the kind of pressure they did. I don't care who you're playing. If it's, you know, we saw in the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay against Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have success. And, you know, the Bills offense just, they couldn't score enough points. And then they, they shot themselves in the foot with the special teams blunder. And, and you lose games like that against teams in this league. I don't care if it's a, even a team like Pittsburgh who, you know, maybe, you know, isn't as 
uh, competitive as they were, you know, in the prime years of, of Ben Roethlisberger. They're still a team that'll beat you if you let them. Uh, what's happened since is a galvanized group that, you know, uh, has beaten up on teams that they should beat up on. I mean, the, you know, shutting out the Miami Dolphins, shutting out uh, this last week, the Houston Texans. And then, you know, really, I mean, it was it was 43-21, but they dominated the Washington football team. And I think that their offensive line, you know, took it personal how bad things went week one. Deion Dawkins was coming back from a bout of COVID at the start of training camp. And I feel like he's finally now just getting back to, you know, somewhere close to 100% when it comes to his condition conditioning. You know, John Feliciano, a guy that got beat pretty good in week one against Cam Hayward, you know, had himself quite a game against Jonathan Allen and the Washington football team before missing last week with a concussion. But, you know, there there's a lot of excitement around uh, their right tackle now. They, they they drafted Spencer Brown in the third yep. round out of Northern Iowa. He played this last week and he looks like the real deal. And, you know, that the excitement level was there for him early because he had a great preseason game against the Chicago bears going up against Khalil Mack on a handful of plays and holding his own. And he kind of continued that excitement level with the way that he played last week. So this is an offense that, you know, as much as we've had takeaways from the start of this season, this week now will tell us where this offense is at and what kind of progress they've made because this is still a Steve Spagnola defense in Kansas City that has had good game plans against Josh Allen in this offense. So, you know, it's all eyes are going to be on Arrowhead Sunday night, and we're going to find out just how real this Bills team is uh, on Sunday. You mentioned that offensive line, Matt. Um, when Feliciano does come back from that concussion, whether it be this week, you know, we we saw him joking around with Josh Allen in, in practice last week, and he looked pretty good. And kind of a little bit of a surprise that he that he didn't give it a go and maybe it's they they knew that they could get by Houston without him and given that extra week there kind of like they did with Morse over the last couple years with his issues uh, with concussion but when he comes back how do you see that offensive line shaking out do you see Spencer Brown sticking at right tackle and 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 Williams staying inside a guard and they they leave you know Cody Cody Ford and and Butker on the bench or how do you see this playing out on that offensive line yeah, I think Spencer Brown's sticking around. Uh, you know, we, Sean McDermott was asked about it on Monday, and it seems like that's going to be uh, uh, something that continues, and and that'll probably likely mean Cody Ford on the bench. I mean, if Daryl Williams struggles, maybe they'd go to some type of rotation between them, those two at, at right guard. But I anticipate John Feliciano returning. I think they like what he brings from a leadership perspective. Communication-wise, you know, I've often heard Bobby Johnson say he's one of the smarter offensive linemen he's worked with. And that's important when you're talking about communication out there. And I think Mitch Morris has really liked that part of it too, having another center uh, type of mindset out there to help get calls down the line. Uh, so I think that, you know, Bucker is a great re like replacement level player. Let me be even a little bit above average. Um, but I think they'd prefer to have Feliciano out there if he's healthy. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. And he brings a little bit of nastiness as well um, to, to that run game. Over Flipping over to the de defensive side of the ball, and, and you mentioned – the likes of, you know, Houston and Washington. Is this defense a true top five unit? Or are they just beating up on on kind of the easier teams? Um, or do you think, think that, you know, with a revamped defensive line, that this is for real and that they can keep this thing rolling throughout the course of the year? And, and this may be the X fact for, for them to push them over the top. I think they're definitely a top five unit. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I know that they've beaten up on some bad teams here over the last couple weeks, but you got to do that. Like even the good teams have to do that. When you, when you play, you can't control who you play. 
Yep. And, you know, I think that there's just, you know, the stats are just unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the DVOA numbers, if you follow, if you get really deep into the analytics, I mean, they show that this through four weeks, there haven't been, I think, many, if, if any teams that have been this dominant. And you can read up on that if, if, if you're inclined. But, you know, this is a team that's just not allowing teams to, you know, not only score points, which traditionally under Leslie, Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, you know, that bend but don't break. Yeah. philosophy has been employed this is a team that is now like you know getting off the field and forcing turnovers i mean we're talking about five last week three the week before that and two the week before that the point differential is unbelievable you know this offense is going to score and they're going to have to this week but if they have a game plan if they can learn from the first two matchups against you know kansas city and 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 keep patrick mahomes from you know going off and and putting up 30 plus points I think you got to rely on your offense to, to be able to win a shootout this week. And, and I think that's going to be the formula to beating the Kansas city. Now, you know, with all that said, a big piece of this, the success of this bill's defense has been at that second level. And the two key components, in my opinion, are Matt Milano and slot cornerback, Taron Johnson, who, you know, Johnson didn't play last week with a groin issue, which that's always troubling when you, when you get that to pop up on the, the injury report. And then Matt Milano left last week with a hamstring injury, with the hamstring. That's right. If those two guys are hampered or if, if either of them can't play, that really puts the Bills in a tough spot. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on Tremaine Edmonds, who I think has been playing well this year, even better than I think some fans even want to give him credit for, uh, even before the Houston game. But, you know, he made a big play last week, a big splash play, and I know that that's exciting. But that's going to be, you know, pressure's going to be on him at that second level to deal with, you know, the Travis Kelsey's of the world and, and maybe, maybe even at times Tyreek Hill, you know, helping out, uh, you know, there as well. So... This defense is for real, but the the top tests, I still think it's going to come down to what kind of pressure can they generate with this new look defensive line, who which has been a little bit up and down. The consistency hasn't necessarily been there yet uh, outside of maybe that Miami game where they knocked Tua out and had six sacks and the pressure rate was insane. You know, they got to they gotta make Patrick Mahomes' life hell on Sunday. And can they do that? I think that they have some of the horses to be able to do that. But they got to come up and they got to prove it in prime time. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. On the on the offensive side of the ball, how good can Dawson Knox be? You know, we, we see all these touchdown catches, and and is this something that we're going to see now? Is this this the next step that we've been looking for out of out of Dawson, or is this just a three four week hot stretch here, and and he'll kind of go back to what you know a lot of people thought he would be? Do you think he's reached his ceiling, or do you think we we got more in there? It's hard to say because it's twofold. First off, I don't necessarily think that the tight end position can really flourish in this offense with as many playmakers as they have at wide receiver. So I think it's always going to come down to whoever's playing tight end, how many opportunities you're going to get in a given week, and can you take advantage of them? And I think at times – you know, Knox maybe has had some drops early on in his career that has forced the Bills to go away from him a little bit. Well, right now, he's at, he's got one drop on the season, and I think that that drop was even a real questionable one. It was behind him. It was a really tough ball to catch. He's been just reliable. And, you know, when you talk about leading the league right now after four weeks among tight ends in terms of touchdowns, he's got more touchdowns than, than Travis Kelsey and George Kittle combined. And so, you know, that that's what you want. That's like your dream scenario when you have Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis is just that your tight end is going to make the plays that are there to be made. And with so much attention on Diggs and Sanders and Beasley, 
he's going to get opportunities and he's taking advantage of them. So I think that is this the ceiling? No, I don't think this is the ceiling. I think that there's a way for Dawson Knox to, you know, maybe even threaten a thousand yards and, and 10 touchdowns. There's a way, but I just don't think that that could be the expectation just because there's too many miles to beat in this offense. Yeah, you're right. We we have seen a little bit more of the 11 personnel from, from Dave all and, and this offense, but you're right with, with just all those weapons. And then you had Moss and Singletary too getting some touches um, in the run game and out of the backfield. It, it's just, there's a lot of ball to go around there. There's no doubt about that. Matt, how much, how much does this game mean for Josh Allen and Brian Dayball? We saw in the, you know, last year in that cold, wet, rainy night in, in, in Orchard Park. And, you know, the offense kind of sputtered a little bit and we all kind of blew it off to maybe a bad weather game and, you know, a little bit of an off game. And then we get to the AFC championship game and, you know, they kind of get roughed up, you know, they, 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 they bang the wide receivers at the line and a lot of jamming and being physical with them. How much does this game mean for, for Josh and Brian Dayball to, to come out here? And I know the Chiefs defense is struggling a little bit, and you talk about historically good in the Bills defense. We're looking at historically bad right now for this Chiefs defense, the way they played through four weeks. But in terms of just fan perception and, and Bills mafia perception, for them to come out here and, and just – not even just win the game, but to move the ball and, and continue to score 30 plus points um, against this Chiefs team and go toe to toe and not kind of get beat up like they did in the first or the two games last year. It's huge for Josh Allen and he, he'll downplay it this week and he his his go to line. I mean, I think Sean McDermott has done a good job of instilling some of his press um approaches into his quarterback and he'll say it's the biggest game because it's the next game and it's no bigger than any other one. It's a lot bigger than any other one. I mean, this is not only from a like, like psyche perspective. I mean, I think that this is a team that, you know, has a, a mental edge over the bills. They beat them convincingly twice last year and not a lot of teams beat this team last year and not and convincingly at that. And so there's that, you know, hurdle you have. Then there's also the fact that it comes down to 2021, the path to the Super Bowl. It really is about getting that home field advantage. And this is a game, you know, Kansas City is going to be there in the end. I know the Chargers are playing well. The Raiders are in the mix. Baltimore probably will be in the mix. But I think it's probably going to come down to Kansas City and Buffalo, at least, you know, which where we're at right now after four weeks. And this is a game that's going to be pivotal in that in that department. And so you got to take care of your business. I mean, you got to take your care of your business every week. But this is the the game that you know I, I think that you got to win. And so it's it's huge in every way. I think I think there's a part of it too that this offense has to prove that it can be successful against Steve Spagnuolo's defense. And I know that that hasn't been good this year so far, but you know, this is a team that's had some success with a lot of the players that they have. Now, one kind of under-the-radar note here. Last year, I thought one of the big reasons that the uh, Chiefs were so successful against the Bills offense is because Bashad Breeland, who's no longer there at cornerback, he played a real physical style with uh, Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, Legereus Sneed is, is usually a good player. He did it as well, and... Uh, Charvarius Ward, uh, but it was really for me. It was Breland who set the tone physically, and so without him, I think that they're going to need someone else to step up and, and set that tone. And I think Sneed made some plays in the play uh, in the playoff game 
in the passing game, but the physicality really jumped out at me with, with Breland. And so I, I think if you, I think Sanders is, I feel like that what happened in the chiefs game, as much as Brandon Bean talked about going out and getting a tight end, I think that he saw what happened in that AFC title game and the way that the, the chief secondary out physical, the bills. And that was one of the big reasons they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. You are not going to out physical Emmanuel Sanders. You're not going to make him back down. And, Diggs either. I just think that so much attention was on Diggs last year. He needed somebody else to step up. And Beasley, to his credit, you know, he's playing on a broken leg. I don't know yeah. how how much yeah. he could have raised his level of physicality. So uh, I expect a Bills receiving core. And you add Dawson Knox into the mix there. I think they're going to be very physical at the line of scrimmage with this Chief secondary. Uh, that's I I hope so. That kind of send that message, like you said. What um, game plan wise? What do you see from from Brian Dayball? Do you, do you see him trying to come out and and continue to do what he's doing and and you know throw the ball over over the football field? And I know they're not going to change philosophically, but you know this Chiefs defense is is almost at over six hundred yards here allowed on the ground. Or do you see a little bit more like last week? And I know it was forty to nothing, and they're protecting the football, and and there was a lot more balance maybe because of that. But do you see a possible chance that this running game can get going and add another element um, against this Chiefs this Chiefs defense? I don't see how the, the the running game doesn't have some success in this game. You mentioned Kansas City struggling, at allowing almost a buck fifty a game. Like this, this this Bills running backs room has been great. I think that split between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, the the complimentary approach that they found has been really nice. And I feel like Brian Dable talked about it all throughout training camp. They're going to go with the hot hand. If they feel like a certain guy's running the ball, they're going to get him the ball. They're going to run him until they don't feel like he is, and then they'll switch switch it up. And you know, when they need the guy that's going to really finish his runs and get physical and get those hard, nasty yards, they go to Zach Moss. And you know, Singletary's been explosive as well, and he's had a lot of big runs. I mean, if if not for that forty-one yarder called back for a, yep. you know, I thought a questionable holding call. I had some people in the comments saying that it wasn't, but. You know, I, I don't know. I didn't see the hold on that, but 41 yarder that's added in. He goes over a hundred last week while Moss was, I think it's 60, 65 and a touch. So, you know, they're running the ball really well, but I still think they're going to, you know, the, the, the identity of this team is that passing attack. And I think that Josh Allen, if they can have some success in the run game early, I think it'll help alleviate some of those early game frustrations like that sugar high Josh where, you know, if things go wrong early, he starts to kind of spiral a little bit. If they can have some success with the run game and he can get, you know, avoid some of those early mistakes, it's going to be very important that the bills come out and convert early, get some first downs, move the ball. I don't even necessarily think they need to score seven points. Like on the first two, you know, possessions, they just need to move the ball and get some points build that early confidence so that, you know, you put the chiefs defense on the defensive and make them kind of playing backwards. Um, I, I think that that, that, that'll build some confidence for them early in this game. Yeah, for sure. Matt, um, we're going to let you go. We know you're busy. You got media, media week uh, starting tomorrow and, and you got a couple pieces coming up. Um, let our listeners know where we can find you. I always go to you, Sal and Ryan Talbot for all of my bill stuff. So let our listeners know where we can find you. Uh, let us know about that show podcast, which is huge. You got the billboard downtown now. So um, let us know. Yeah. appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, we'll have coverage all week. Uh, I'm working on a couple features this week uh, that'll be up on the site, Syracuse.com, New York We have a live show Wednesday 
Um, that is the big show. We're going to have Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. He keeps an extra close eye on the Bills. He's local, uh, but he's a draft expert. He watches a lot of the film. He covers a lot of the young players in the league. We'll break down uh, the AFC picture, the Bill, the AFC East picture, the Bills, maybe even to look ahead to some draft names uh, that Bills fans should keep an eye on. I know a lot of them want uh, the Bills to draft interior offensive line. Uh, so maybe we'll get a couple guys that fans can keep an eye on on Saturdays. We'll have our preview show on Friday. And then I'll be on the ground in Kansas City Saturday morning. I land at 930. There will be some type of Twitter um, uh, spaces. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice platform they have where it's kind of like an audio um, you know, uh, yep. hangout room. And so Bills fans can look for that too. It'll probably be sometime uh, Saturday evening. Uh, so tons of content. Uh, just find me on Twitter at Matt Perino, and that's where I funnel it all out. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll connect uh, either later on in the season or in the off season again and, and keep up all your good work, Matt. Thanks, man. Take care. Matt Perino, what an absolute beauty. I know he's uh, busy, busy this week, so really appreciate him taking the time to uh, to join us. Like he said, make sure you check it out if you're a Bills fan. Shout podcast, Stacking the Box podcast with Matt Verderam. Two amazing podcasts, tons of great content from both those guys, and tons of great knowledge. So it'll be interesting to see. Listeners, you know how jacked I'll be come Sunday night. I'm already pumped up for this game. Um, this was one, no doubt, uh, when you had that schedule come out and you know you open up against Pittsburgh and then you really got three games that, uh, you know, the Miami game you thought was going to be a little bit tougher for Buffalo, but, you know, you, you got Miami, even the Washington game you thought would be tougher, but you knew to me, you know, Pittsburgh, Miami, Washington, you, you were probably going to handle business, handle your business in, in two out of those three games. You got Houston at home. You're going to handle your business there. Buffalo's exactly where we thought they would be. Um, Kansas City's not at two and two, but you know they're going to be there, like Matt said. Um, they're just too good of a team. They'll figure out the defense a little bit. Let's just hope it's not this week. So this was this was the circle matchup to me. You know, if you're a betting man, you, you would have had both of these teams at three and one, four and zero oh, coming into this game. AFC Championship rematch in Arrowhead back again. And um, to me, and I asked the question to Matt as well is this means so much and what i'm intrigued about is um this means so much for for josh allen to me it means a lot for brian dayball but for dayball is is what's the game plan right i want to see how they're going to attack this chiefs defense because to me the chiefs got a couple different blueprints on how to beat the bills and and like matt said not too many people have beat the bills uh over the last couple years here you know, like he said, the Pittsburgh game, the Bills beat themselves. So, you know, they don't, they have a, a little bit of a blueprint and they slowed the offense down a little bit, but truly, you know, poor offensive line, poor execution, the block punt, the, the list goes on. To me, the Bills beat themselves in that game. But Kansas City flat out beat the Bills twice. You know, Tennessee beat the Bills. You know, that game was last year, okay, a couple picks and interceptions could have went a little bit different, but, you know, it would have been a lot tighter, but I think Tennessee was the better team that night and, and all full marks go to, to Tennessee that night and full marks go to Kansas City. And then that's why I'm so intrigued in this matchup. I hope you enjoy the Sunday night. Another big time one coming off of uh, the historic game 
with Brady and the Bucks. What a night that was. Hope all of you had the opportunity to watch it. Um, weather played a factor. Don't care what either of the coaches say there. Um, wish we could have had some better weather because it might have been uh, a little bit more of an enjoyable game to watch. A little sloppy, a little slow, kind of a field goal. F- well, not kind of a field goal what fest, but it was a field goal fest. But uh, either way, great to watch history there. Folks, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We got our golf picks that go up every single Thursday for the PGA Tour when the season is going. We throw some extra European Tour weeks in there when we can. And we got our pick six uh, Saturdays. So every Saturday morning, we've got uh, the hottest six picks. Uh, Sometimes it'll be all my picks. Sometimes we'll go three and three with Dutch if he's kicking around and likes a couple options in terms of the NFL in that week. So we've got many more weeks of NFL football here to talk about. We're excited here on the Triple G Podcast. We've got some great football and golf guests ahead of us as we move here into the month of October and get into prime, prime barbecue and football season. Hope you've been enjoying it, folks. When we get back from break, we're going to flip right over into golf, and we'll catch you on the flip side. I love the Triple G podcast where real life sports and you talk with me. Real life passion for real life sports. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Yes, you are indeed. You heard it right. That was my daughter on there. So hope you enjoy talking some football. Um, yep, she's at that age. She likes to start watching a little Bills football with uh, with her daddy. So always fun. But uh, as we get on this other side of break here, we're done with the football talk for this week. And we are on to the golf talk and discussing the world of golf, and we're going to kind of cover it all over. But uh, how could we not start with the big news happening here Tuesday night, October 5th, just recently announced, and that's the big match. We're going to get it. Brooksy and Bryson, 12 holes, November 26th, day after Thanksgiving, the same way Tiger and Phil was, and at the win in Vegas, Viva Las Vegas at the win Resort. Um Let's see how much of a feud this is. You know, um, I think at the Ryder Cup, with that press conference, I think the truth came out. I think we all know what the, what that was all about. And I think the two of these guys uh, are laughing to the bank. Not only from the PGA Tour and uh, the 30 million bucks, but uh, with this match. Because it's going to generate a lot of money, a lot of money for them, for, the, for, for everybody. So... Uh, I, I, am I buying into it? Uh, I'll support it. Uh, I'm gonna try to here, but but I think uh, I think uh, a lot of people had the wool pulled over their eyes on this one, and I think uh, the truth came out at the Ryder Cup. And I don't think there's there's a feud there. I think this has been forced. Kind of reminds me of the Tiger and Phil uh, feud and 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 stuff from when they were in their primes together. 
just trying to force two amazing, talented golfers uh, with personalities and and maybe a little bit different and not the same. You know, it's not Duvall or Cantley or somebody like that. These guys got some personality, they got some swag, and uh, they're good for the game. and And that's what it's all about. And I think that's what uh, what they were trying to do in promoting the game and getting that out there. And I think that's what the PGA Tour was trying to do. And I think that's what these golfers are doing. And I think that's what this match is doing. So, uh, But I'll support it. I'll check it out. 12 holes. Why not? Two guys. It'll be done uh, three hours in and out and out of the way. So um, November 26th, circle that on your calendar. We got Brooksy. We got Bryson. On to the LPGA. Couple of, uh, a couple of exciting pieces of news to share. Uh, number one, and I just wanted to kind of give our listeners a heads up. 18 years old, Stanford University. You've heard the name before. She's competed in new, two majors on the LPGA Tour, and that is Rose Zhang. She just wins her first two events in college. This is the next star that's going to be coming out onto this LPGA Tour, so keep your eyes out for her. The second big news, Chevron announces uh, that they are taking over as the main sponsor from the ANI or the old Dinosaur. They're going to keep it there for one last swan song, which is a great move. Great show of face uh, for um, history for the uh, for the ladies tour. Uh, give them their last swan song there in Mission Hills and then take control of, uh, of your event as the main sponsor. I, I totally respect what Chevron's done there. And um, I know the ladies will appreciate their sponsorship and the LPGA tour. And us, for that matter. So great to see Chevron getting involved on that side on the ladies' game because these ladies are good. You know, I've been pounding the table for uh, for months for for this tour and how good it is. And um, and we're approaching uh, the the final part of the year for for these ladies. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we're up in New Jersey for uh, for one more week at the Founders Cup, but uh, our girl Brooks. Right in, uh, right in the hunt here. Pro- she needs a victory uh, coming into this week. Good, solid finish. Uh, T2 at the shop right. You know, 11th overall in the Rolex uh, FedEx. Or, uh, Ro- or sorry, the Rolex. I want to say FedEx. Rolex uh, player rankings. She's uh, ninth in the race to uh, CME. Solid season for Brooke, but she needs another win. 20 events now. This will be her 21st. One victory, six top tens. Um, real solid year, you know. All in the five majors, that her worst finish is T25 at the Evian. You know, T13 at the Women's Open. Uh, T7, T7 um, in San Francisco at the at the Ladies U.S. Open. T21 at the Women's PGA. T19 at the at the uh, at the ANI or the ANA. So real solid. Uh, season 2020 2021 season for brooke but uh would be nice to finish it out with another victory for her up in new jersey really push her up that board and moving into next year uh this is a golfer now with double digit victories she's right there hovering around the top five top ten in terms of ranking and and the and all these races it's about majors for brooke henderson you got that that type of performance in majors um you're right on uh, a word uh, for for me a word that I like right on the precipice of pushing over the top there and and she's got to get these next couple majors. Uh, Dutch and I talked about many many uh, podcasts ago about 
can she get to 25, 30, 40 wins? Um, she's got to get some more victories. She's got to start to bang off two, three, four wins in a season. And can she get to five, six, seven, eight, ten majors? Um, it's got to start now for Brooke. And it's got to, hopefully she can finish strong here and kick it over into uh, to next season. Champions Tour is winding down. They're on their race to the Charles Schwab Cup on the stretch run. And over to the PGA Tour. Last week, we were at the Sanderson's Farms. After two rounds, Dutch and I had our picks in. Folks, I would like to challenge you to find anybody after two rounds that had six picks better than what we had in there. I don't think you would have been able to find it myself. Listen, we had uh, Dutch had Siwoo Kim T8, Will Zalatoris T14, and his long shot Dylan Fertelli at T39. I threw in Connors T17, Hoffman T34, Peter Malnetti um, struggled on the weekend with a 70-72 finish. But um, so we were we were all around it. Missed out cashing uh, and some some nice money there by one shot with Siwoo Kim. But uh, another solid week. We're right there knocking on the door, trying to find you a winner. We've got some great value. Before we give you this week's picks here for um, the event happening this week, let's review last week and those Canadians. Five out of the eight Canadians that played last week at the Sanderson's Farm makes the cut, and they were right around it as well. Roger Sloan, T14. Connors, I said, T17. Um you know, you had Mackenzie Hughes, T35, Taylor Pendrith, T39, and Adam Hadwin, T45. Had a good first round and then kind of faded with, you know, he had three solid rounds, but uh, came out hot, kind of slowed it down uh, in rounds two through four. But uh, and four solid rounds for Hadwin. I like him moving into the Shriners this week in Vegas. We talked about Las Vegas for um, for the, the big match between Brooks and Bryson. The next couple weeks on the PGA Tour will be in Las Vegas. This week we are at TPC Summerlin, par 72, 7,300 yard golf course. The PGA Tour players love this golf course. Always inside the top 30 on the rankings for courses that they like to play. And um, a golf course that when you look at the last three, four, or five years leaderboards, that holds true because you see a lot of names that are continually up there. And uh, we'll give you Dutch, Dutch's picks. We won't get too, uh, too in it. He he's, uh, shoved them over to me late this evening, so they're fresh off the press from the Dutchman. And uh, his big gun of the week at 22-1, to 1, he's taken Victor Hovland. His rock-steady pick is Harris English at 35-1. to 1. And his long shot of the week, he's got big value here. He likes them. And that is Brandon Steele at 175 to 1. My picks started from the bottom. Now we're here. We're going to start with the long shot. Great value here at 125 to 1. I talked about him when we were just talking about the Canadians there. Starting to show some better form, fully refreshed after some time off. Listen, T4 in 2019 at this event, T34 in 2020. So he can play this golf course. He likes it at 125 to 1. I took a Canadian, Corey Connors, last week. Really uh, got me good value for my money. And I'm going to take another Canadian this week at 125 to 1. We're taking Adam Hadwin. I like it. My rock steady pick of the week. He is at 45 to 1. T18 in 2019. T2 last year. He can absolutely bomb it in this thin air. 
I think he's going to be able to take advantage of this golf course again. I think it's tailor made for him, and that is Matt Wolf. We're taking. So we got Hadwin Wolf and my big gun. Um, not a lot of big guns, you know. Uh, Dutchy had twenty two to one, thirty five to one. So I I kind of held firm and tried to find some good value. So I'll go with another forty five to one. Dutch had him last week. T eight, like I talked about, a good finish. And he's showing good form a couple times. So in two out of the last three years on this golf course, 2018, he was T15. Last year, he was T8 in this event. So he likes this time of year and this stretch of golf on the PGA Tour. I'm taking him. See Woo Kim, 45 to 1. So to repeat our picks, we got Hadwin. We got Matt Wolf, See Woo Kim, Victor Hovland, Harris English, and Brandon Steele. We'll have them up on Facebook on Thursday morning before they tee off so you can get a few uh, units laid down. We've got our Saturday pick six for NFL football week five. Check that out. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter at Triple G. Give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pod. Hope you enjoyed another jam-packed episode here on Triple G. I'm your host, Stephen Kerr, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.